Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. Hello, my name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to The Revisit, in which Kira McGuinness and I travel back in time to the Irish music scene and assess records from a given year. That given year this time is 1990, a pretty big year, and we got a pretty big panel. I am joined by Fergal Darcy of Today FM. Hello, sir. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Thank you for coming in. we got Louise McNamara from Heathers. Hello. Hi, how are you? Great, thanks for having me. And Angela Dorgan of First Music Contact, Breaking Tunes, you name it. Hi. Hard-working class heroes. Hard-working class heroes. <laughs> I'm looking for my it. radio voice. Louise and, and, and Ferg have a really good radio voice. <laughs> Is this a good radio podcast? My podcast voice. Kieran's got a lovely radio voice as well. Don't you, Kieran? Hi. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me, Dave. Welcome back. Good yes. to have you. Uh, 1990, what was going on in the world of music in particular? Uh, what was happening in the world of music? Well, um, lots. Um, Violator, Depeche Mode, Bossa Nova, Pixies, Goose, Sonic Youth. There was tons of uh, great alternative music like that. Um, then there was Madonna and, you know, uh, Listen Without Prejudice and uh, Neil Young's Ragged Glory. Tons of stuff like that. In films? In films, quite a bit going on, yeah. It was the year of all the ridiculously bad sequels. Young Guns 2, Gremlins 2, Robocop 2, Die Hard 2, Child's Play 2, Predator 2. All the ones that just flopped in the cinema. However, Young Guns 2 had quite a good soundtrack. Blaze of Glory, I think. Was the title Jovi. track from that. Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of really good films. You had the Goodfellas bringing in that big gangster vibe in there. And then, of course, you had Godfather Part 3, which was an absolute washout, an absolute muck. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola will always, always regret that, mo- that moment after moving on from two really, really good sequels, uh, prequels to that, I should say. Dances with Wolves is that your Miller's Crossing, Gabriel Byrne, big screen. Uh, one of those films that if you haven't visited in a while, go back and watch it. It is an absolutely brilliant masterpiece. Still rates very highly in Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Pretty Woman was in there for all those people waiting Pretty for woman. their knight in shining armour to come along. Tremors, where Kevin Bacon really made his name as opposed to Footloose, which is an absolute flop as well, nice. truth be told. And Ghost uh, was in there as well in the mix. For the kiddie ones, Kindergarten Cop, Arachnophobia was there. Yeah. Arachnophobia is not a kiddie one. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> is. is. That's the film that you bring, you get your dad going, like, can we please go please? And they bring you along the dragon. Total Recall. Total Recall. Not a kid's film. Blatantly not, not a kid's, kid's film, no. But Very violent. still. Total Recall won all the uh, awards for the makeup. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny how old that seems now, but back then it was like, oh my God. It's like Halloween makeup. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Like, I don't want to be taboo or anything, but in fairness, like, for years and years and years of a young adolescent male, you kept talking about that girl with the three boobies. That was like, that was a thing that everyone talked about. We don't go on about it now. That and Guato coming out of your man's stomach. But I think they were the things that any nerd child went on about for a very long time and still lived the dream. When they remade the movie, they actually put the tree boobied woman into it again. It just didn't seem so. It didn't. It didn't. It it just didn't. It was just. Yeah, it didn't live up to anticipation the second time around. No. And what was happening in the world of the world? The world of the world. Um, So events. East and West Germany were reunified. Oh yeah, that's a big one. Uh, What else? Mary Robinson inaugurated Mm. as first female president of Ireland. Yeah. No, um, Nelson Mandela was released in South Africa after 27 years behind bars. Serious year for that kind of stuff, isn't it? Mm. Ireland reached the World Cup quarterfinals by beating Romania in penalties. I remember. Robbed by Italy. Robbed Scalacci. Oh, we've all remembered that name, haven't we? <laughs> Scalacci. Scalacci, yeah. Well, he made his money in Ireland, didn't he? He's yeah, coming over to Smithic sides for a couple of years after that. And Dave, what were you doing in 1990? In 1990, I was kicking a ball around the back garden. I was about five, five or six. And I was, uh, yeah, all about Italian 90. It was like Jackie August, Packy August, Cascarino. You know, it was the biggest thing ever. There was an album. Uh, there, there was, was an album yeah. of, uh, of the best football songs. Put Them Under Pressure was number one on the 12th of July. That's my birthday. That's my birthday. <gasps> Tell you. What else was number one? Kismet number something. ones in that year were Band-Aid 2, Do They Know It's Christmas, Kid, New Kids Good. on the Block, Hang Good. Tough, Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You, Love Good. Shack B-52s, awesome. That Sounds Good to Me, Jive Bunny and the Mastermind Mixers. Oh, can we all remember also, that every wedding? I still hear it. <laughs> I bet you nobody will know the next song that was number one on the 19th of April, 1990, The Byro to Glenroe. By Mick Lally. And her hair, her son, no! like the berries and the roses. Yeah, do you not remember this? No. 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 Huge. <laughs> Mick Lally, the Byro to Glenroe, I even Fred, bought the single at the yeah. time in Tommy Salmon's hardware shop. You could get a pound of ham, you could get the latest Smash It's album, you could get anything you want That's in that shop and ban the stone County Galway. That sounds like a really good deal. Uh, <laughs> Give It a Last Jack was number one twice uh, in May. Uh, put him under pressure then in July for Dave's birthday, obviously. Uh, Steve Miller Band Saw Doctors were I Used to Love Her uh, Righteous Brothers uh, and Vanilla Ice 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 Baby and Zig and Zag Christmas number one oh and Paul McGrath sorry Watch Your House in November so yeah towards the end of the year again why was it November ooh uh, Paul McGrath the World Cup was over then wasn't it Seems yeah. like it was the year of the novelty single that's bizarre maybe or the year of the soccer idea. singles yeah do you remember that Zig and Zag single 
I don't. Which one yeah, it was the one. It's that, Chris it was just Lee, after Ray Darcy. The no, Christmas number one. It's, he's a coming. He's a running. He's got eight reindeers and all. No, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a scary scene. That's another one that was purchased in same side shop, like with ham. Yeah. Wow. Please tell me that shop is still with us. Uh, no, oh. unfortunately, oh, yeah, recently closed. Okay, tragedy. Do like it. all great music stores, shops and fairness, like it's all on, online now. Well, it's not really a novelty mix with our five records. As usual, Karen, it was a bit of a long list, a bit of a kind of a whittle down. I know Angela's not happy about the lack of cork. Mm-hmm. And I will <laughs> say that uh, my, my, my no-encore co-host, Colin Morrigan, has your back. He's very upset as well. Well, good. Okay, go. well, um, the five albums that um, we're going to be talking about today um, are A House, I Want Too Much, Home by the Hothouse Flowers, Shane O'Connor's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, Annam by Clannad, and uh, Paradise in the Picture House by The Stunning. All right. Uh, anything in particular that didn't make it that you feel should have, Kier? Me, I was uh, a bit shocked that Phantom of Manchester didn't get in. Previous winners mm. on uh, the revisit, yeah. I, I, I was stunned myself, but you know, democracy. I voted for them, but there wasn't enough other. There wasn't any other votes. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was surprised something happens didn't get in. I was yeah. surprised something happens yeah. didn't get in. Yep. They were on my list. Uh, mine too. Yeah, really surprised, but um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't get in, and um, yeah, it's kind of weird because I mean, the, the Phantom of Mansions album, I have to say. I, I love Lost in the Former West, which is their their album from two thousand and uh, sorry nineteen ninety four, and this is their I think the third album or the second album, um, and it's great, but it's a little bit wilder and madder, and it just seems like they kind of nailed it mm. as they went on, and that's the only reason I think maybe there was a little bit of a lack of um, songs, you know, maybe if you know what I mean, like melody. There's tons of ideas, the, the rage is there, and the some of it just sounds like a descent to madness, <laughs> you know, a little bit. But uh, I think that was me. I can understand it not crossing over. It wasn't as um, um, I don't melodic, I suppose, as a lot of the other stuff here. I suppose it's kind of represented in a, in a way by I want too much by a house, which is the probably the most alternative kind of album on, on of these five, I would say. But yeah. Okay, well, we'll kick it off with your choice, or at least what you're going to lead us off with, Kerry. Okay. This, this is Hot House Flowers. Sounds like this. Essential question for you, Kira. Uh, are you personally connected to this record in any way? <laughs> no, but um, uh, I. This is so. This is home by Hottest Flowers. It's the second album. I suppose it's after their massive first album, which was number one for a long time in Ireland. It was one of the biggest ever debut albums um, uh, from an Irish band, hugely connected to U two, of course. But um, it's it's full of soul and kind of Celtic rock I suppose a certain amount you could say that there's um, it's there's a lot of classic rock there's trad in there as well it's ambitious it's big it's really produced it also sounds at times uh, it, it probably it's it's it doesn't sound dated at times and then at times it sounds it sounds quite dated but uh, I think I was surprised by how good the album is um, the first track Hardstone City like what a great song to start an album with it just hammers out of the tracks you know um, in fact the first kind of uh, five or six songs maybe se- up to the seventh song which is I can see clearly now the cover of the Johnny Nash song um, the first seven songs are really strong I think 
it, it dips a little bit then and it kind of goes a little bit more into the trad and gets a bit kind of um, less focused, I suppose. But yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really, really strong album. Anyone else uh, a fan? I love that Hearthstone City. It just, it just has that nostalgic vibe. George's Street and is mentioned in it, things like that. I can see clearly cover version. I, I was a fan, but I think this is one of the things that we're great at doing in Ireland is reinventing other people's songs like Hibernian Rhapsody a few years ago as well. I, I do believe that everything you've said there, the Celtic vibe, whilst it's a bit of rock and it's a little bit dated, yeah, that's there. But there is a certain Hothouse Flowers trademark on that album. And it is potentially one of the better Irish albums in that year uh, for the sense that, you know, giving it all away, you listen to that track and Liam goes off on his own little banter, helter skelter thing, and comes back. That that is a hot house, uh, hot house flowers thing, isn't it? Like you know, yeah. it's, it's like uh, don't go. He, like anytime you hear that song live, he never plays it the same way twice. No, he doesn't. But even you can hear that on the album. I think to a certain extent, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, but but I, but I come back to what Kieran kind of said, where he was like, I think half of this sounds dated and half it doesn't. I think it's very very difficult to do episodes on like you know on the revisit where and not say that something sounds dated and I always feel really kind of churlish because it's like well it's hardly anybody's fault you know like like this is what they had to work with at the time but some things are just very very specifically eurocentric and I think on this list of records some sound dated in a really good way and like I, that's one of the opinions I would have about the Shane O'Connor album when we get there but with this I just felt really like I was watching like a bad blues movie or something here and there it was just really kind of of its time and in a kind of a cheap kind of sounding way and I do feel like I mean there's a track on here like called Movies and it has this really bad, like, kind of drum kind of snap thing going on to it mm. that I was just like, I, and not only that, but even like, it had like kind of hand claps and kind of like other kind of rhythms going on, and it just all sounded like so stock and like something off a bad keyboard that wasn't even fully working properly. And I, it was nails <laughs> on a chalkboard. I was like, I can't get through yeah. this song ever again. I had my headphones on. I was like, oh Christ, get them off. I think that there is a bit of that when you start, but I, I, I you have to listen past that a little bit. Like, there's a lot of kind of honky tonk feeling piano like barroom <clears throat> you know americana kind of feel but i think i think the songs are there i think when you get through that it's really strong i, I given it all away song i thought that was one of the, the ones where it didn't work you know sometimes as well liam omwaney sounds a bit like jack black you know it sounds yeah. like someone kind of doing an impression of a, of yeah. a you know a barroom it, it's so funny way, for, for me i remember because i've eight brothers and they're all older than me and so we grew up with uh amazing like with neil young and bob dylan and all of that always in the house so and because we were smallest we never got the record player they got the record player so i remember them just pshawing hot house flowers going well they're just neil young wannabe and then i remember thinking well that's you know I, like i was at that time in 1990 I was hanging out with the Sultans I was learning drums from the Sultans drummer I was and and I was already and I should have like listened to my 16 17 year old self even at that stage I was like well I think it's amazing an Irish act can be said in the same sentence as Neil Young and I think there's a you can tell it was the kickoff of like a, a heap of hippie bands for want of a better word, like hippie looking, probably not hippie sounding, but you know, it's hot house flowers and the frames, Mick Christopher, you know, you can almost kind of pull a thread through. You knew they all went to each other's gigs and watched what, even with the little, you know, go off on a, a little solo on your harmonium or whatever and come back. Um, that you could see where that started. And I think an awful lot of the bands here tonight, um, are kind of part of it. They kicked off something that you could pull a thread 
back to what blew my mind about all of them is how bad all the vocals are <laughs> on all of them. Like, you know, all I thought, yeah, well, apart from a house, because I think Dave Coos can do no wrong, but house, sorry. Um, but I, I it just some of them is I don't know whether it's the compression or, or what it is, but I just feel like, you know, vocals today sound like on half of the albums and this was one of them the first half it was like two albums you're right mm. um, on the first half I was like you, c- I've seen you sing better than that why aren't you you know like how did and Sinead O'Connor as well sounds and she is not a bad singer she's a beautiful singer and on that album she sounded like a bad singer for half of them do you think it's purely a production thing or I don't know do you think it's like kind of a first no, draft some vocal of, take or I don't know I don't know, because some of them like sounded flat out flat. Well, we're talking about a different period of music as well, too. Yeah. I mean, this is proper rock and roll. This is like before there was computers and auto No, I mean, but same genres now against those genres then. And it's just... There's still a little bit more weird. tweaking, though. Yeah, with the, with the yeah. Stuff there's more compression. Yeah. There's more, yeah. There's a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, for me, on this particular album, just whilst we're on it, like, on the note that there is kind of two separate albums, which I kind of agree with that, too. Is a, the, the standout track for me... And I just wrote down beside it, soft, brilliant melody. That's it there, Lima Whaley, Sweet Marie. Mm. And I just liked that track. And the only reason why I liked the track was because it's just hothouse flowers. Tear away all the, the glitz and the glam and everything else and just leave it as it is. And that's what yeah, just trip back to. And I mean, when you, if we got more of that at the time, it probably would have been bigger. You know? I think that was a big slow set song in Cork. Well, it's funny. There's a, there's a brilliant uh, interview uh, in Rolling Stone from this time. Just I think either just after they've released it or... Or like maybe even just before they've released it, like, but um, it's them after playing a gig in in Belfast, and they're all sitting back in their hemp clothes, and, and they're, you know <laughs> they're talking about being vegetarians and you know all this kind of stuff, and, and it's just really interesting. But um, one of the singer the the singers listening, oh, sorry, the the drummer is listening back to the gig on headphones. He's sitting in the back of the gig. They record the gigs in headphones, and he goes, "Leon, you played. She removes to the fair for fifteen minutes." <laughs> total wank you know <laughs> and like I know that there are people that would think that would go to a Hot House Flowers gig and he's going off on his thing and he's in his kind of buzz and he, he, he dragging everything out and making things longer and feeling you know the band doing that and that would be completely like you know hell for some people and some people would absolutely love it and the thing is that's difficult to get across on an album I think I think you can't do the mm. feel that you get live so I think they've tried to do it a bit and I don't think it's necessarily worked. Like the last two tracks on this album feel a bit stapled on. One of them is a live a live song and one of them is um, a sh- kind of a, a traditional Shan No song. And uh, they both feel a bit stapled on whereas the rest of the album has... I think it's... I, I, I do think it it is... It's really ambitious and I do think it's produced. I'm actually... I think it sounds warm and I, I'm, I don't mind the vocals. We'll talk about our house later on, mm. and I'm going to say what I think with <laughs> the vocals in that one. But in this, I don't mind that it's part of the buzz, as you were saying. It's all part of that kind of feel of that kind of wild kind of soul kind of thing. There's a song called "Give It Up," and uh, there's a song called "Shut Up and Listen," and f- and as well as "Hardtown City." Those three songs for me just they just are absolutely great. I can see clearly now is good as well. You know, it was all, uh, recently it was in the Top Gear, the new Top Gear show, whatever uh, the Grand Tour, the Grand yeah, Tour. Yeah. It was the first song in that, so. On yeah. another declaration of interest, I had Lehman Studio last year and there was going to be this Irish gig on, which fell through. It was an all-Irish language gig and it was going to be big business and the PR came in and on. And that's when you walked, he floated into studio and dressed like, you know, I always think of that that, that poem on Vakok, the Vakok here on Strudge, you know, there was, this, there, was this, there was this kind of hobo on the street, Osquilgan, 
I always think of him because he just came in and he had the beard and, there and he looked like he was after having the week from hell. <laughs> God damn it, did that man get my respect when he sat down at that piano and just dwindled away. And I'd like mm. to think that when this album, because, you know, at the time, right, in the early 80s, these guys were told by Rolling Stone, you know, you're the best unsigned band in New That's York. Right, yeah. Yeah. This is early days for them. And they're kind of coming on. They're like, oh, God. And, you know, there's a lot of rock and roll. There's a lot of gigs. There's a lot of other stuff going on. I'd like, to, I'd like to kind of think that that's probably why it didn't translate as much because obviously these days we go into a studio to record on, you know yourself, there's a certain amount of decorum you have to keep to a little extent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But I just think, I think just when he was there, that little bit of respect that I have from him, and it's definitely still for me the whole way through, you could see that there was a lot more going on than just the music. Yeah. These guys kind of wanted to explore things, you know? I think he's a beautiful writer. Things, you know? I think he's a beautiful writer. I think he's still a beautiful writer. I think he's... Like the Shannos was there in 1990. The Shannos is very much still there now. Another declaration of interest. I was at a party last week. <laughs> uh, he actually, lovely, a friend of mine was celebrating being cancer free for three years and he turned up to sing because their kids go to uh, think together as well. And um, he just broke into, and, and the song went for ages and it was stunning. And I think we were all of an age in the room where we were like, we didn't mind that it took him oh, no, nine, I, like, ten I minutes, exactly you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, just You're just it. like, oh my God, that's straight I'd, I'd to the clavicle did, bone, actually. Did he get a little bit more respect from you just for doing that, being able well, to do that? Well, he has my respect on it. Most, any musician who can open their chest and show the raw chest to anybody has like day one my absolute awe I've never written a song I've never performed a song so let that's my like clear no matter what I say about anything on, on this podcast utmost and utter respect for anybody who takes something from here and here and just literally rips open their chest and shows everybody for us to go yeah I didn't like the vocals um, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, yeah, I, I think we we are being asked what do we think of it, and and for me, I I listened to all of the albums you guys gave us, which was amazing and very nostalgic actually. Um, with I try not to listen with the twenty seventeen ear, but I mm. I couldn't help being like I think the vocals need to be a little more, you know. Um, but I I do think I think he's he's a fantastic songwriter. Um, I think they did better stuff after this than. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they kicked off a scene that probably has never left Galway, uh, really, you know, and, and, you know, the big bag of sticks came later and were more punk, but they were still kind of, you could still have put hot slurs and big bag of sticks in a tent at the Galway, probably were on the Galway Festival together. So there was, they kicked off a vibe maybe that hadn't been in Ireland before and that I think they should get a bit of a hat tip for that. They did translate to, they, they seem to have a bit of a big Australian following. Uh, Louise, kind of based on Kira's parameters earlier on, did you find the meandering aspect of this to be a bit hellish or was it was it a good palette for you? I think it was fine for me. Yeah? I really enjoyed it. I'm going to put in here that I was born in 1990. So this I was the first you. time <laughs> listening to a lot of these records. It was completely new to me. Um, no, it, it wasn't an issue for me. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hmm. Uh, I, I did. I have to admit, I did find it quite hodgepodgey. Like at times, I, I found it kind of difficult to just tune into its frequency. And again, I don't know how much that is just from also kind of coming to this quite late. I mean, I wouldn't have even grown up in a house where the highest flares were played that often, and it was kind of. I don't know. I, I just found it like a, I, I had a bit of a tin ear for this one, unfortunately. But well, it, uh, it's funny because it does make for a very good frontman, though. I mean, like, like that, that mm-hmm. that's kind of goes without saying. I think. Oh no, totally. But I think that there is a hot house flares thing. You know, I, I think that I can imagine. It, you know, sometimes with bands there is a uh, a sound that you associate with them. And I think on this album, the songs that are most 
hothouse flowers in that kind of, um, you know, you know what you imagine they sound like. Mm. I don't think they work as well. They're in the second half of the album. But the songs that are focused and um, powerful, I'd love to see them, see them live. I'd, like, I'd love to have been, like, that's, as I say, the, the Hearthstone City, that song, like, it's just, what an opener. Like, I'd love to have seen that live, him just going to town. And, like, imagine he was amazing, you mm. know. I think... Um, Bono saw him on TV in 1986 and he called him and he said I'm sorry for the gall of this but I think you're incredible like you know I mean they started working together and then through Mother Records you know they signed to Polygram so like you know like a lot of these albums Bono is uh, Bono and U2 are connected we're going to talk a little bit later on about Sinead O'Connor and how they were connected to U2 Clonid you know the American version of that album had you know Bono singing in a lifetime on it Every, everything is this is a period this is like the post that post um, like U2 were the then the biggest band around was 1980 was it 1987 was um, mm. Joshua Tree Joshua Tree yeah, yeah. so like there was a two or three years after that where like he could he could look at someone in the street and they would suddenly, you know, sprout wings, you know, and loads of glitter would appear and they would fly to heaven. You know, Bono was, had the power at that point, you know. And like, it, it's amazing how his name comes up in every bio, uh, you know, or U2's name comes up in every kind of bio of all these bands when you're researching them. It's amazing. Like, but anyway. Well, Kira mentioned you there. Let's have a listen to Sinead O'Connor and one of the most iconic songs of all time. Louise, tell us about this record. Well, just to start off, I um, I guess, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Sinead O'Connor and kind of awe, in awe of her vocal abilities. But to be honest, Nothing Compares to You is the only song that I'd heard off this record. Um, so I sat down uh, out in my garden over the past weekend with sunny weather and listened through it and I was blown away. Um, so I, I, just to give a kind of a quick background to begin with... Um, so this is her second record. It was nominated for four Grammys and won Best Alternative Music Performance. And I guess Nothing Compares to You was the song that kind of really uh, brought this record to the forefront and Sinead O'Connor in, in general. Um, but yeah, it's a whole mix of sounds, like spanning from um, kind of folk to orchestral, orchestral influences in there, pop hip-hop sounds in there as well and kind of traditional Irish music which is something that really stood out to me I wasn't really um, expecting that um, but the one thing I guess that really is at the forefront of it all is her vocal abilities and her you know that how she can kind of move from this like intimate whisper to this like soaring cry and keep that emotional intensity mm. the, the whole time and I think that you know, for anyone who maybe has never listened to Sinead O'Connor before, you could listen to this record and really feel emotion or feel what she perhaps has been going through. And reading reading up about this record and her life and what she was going through at this time and just listening to the record, um, you know, there is a lot of heavy stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really so heavy, yeah. So I, have, I have heavy stuff written there. Heavy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have also Celtic. Question mark. Oh, I really? didn't remember being like having that big Celtic influence in a lot of the tracks. Yeah. The same as you there, yeah. 
Totally, yeah. And I th- and or, to me, orchestral really stood out to me. Like, there's mm. a lot of kind of cinematic arrangements in there. Um, so to me, I guess one of the other main things was like the ability to express express emotion through her vocal. But there are a number of things that stood out to me uh, on the record in general. So first off, the melodies. To me, when I listen to music, melodies the first thing I always hear, and that's something that I feel she does really well. But listening listening to this record, I think maybe there were two songs that I felt hmm, I'm not sure about but the mm. rest of them I felt were all really strong particularly the melodies and the kind of mi- that mix of Celtic kind of traditional uh, melodies <laughs> and um, that style yeah. <laughs> yeah and and then other kind of styles mixed in there um, and then I guess uh, like lyric wise um, spans from kind of political opinions mm. to um, kind of her own personal uh life and kind of what mm. what she was going through at the time um one of the main things i've mentioned already before so the arrangement um the orchestral influences so let me think for a second she starts off feel so different as the first song which is like apparently i had no idea a guy called Rainhold neighbors maybe that is how you pronounce it maybe not but it's uh he's a, a, a poet and the first song opens up with a famous it's kind of a prayer of his yeah um, and you've got your sweeping kind of strings and melodies coming in um, into I'm stretched on your grave you instantly have this hip hop beat that comes in so complete contrast and Another then cover as well that one yeah and then her sh- and Sinead coming in with this kind of again Celtic kind of traditional melody over it so I'm stretched on your grave now because the first thing I wrote down beside that because they were around in around the same time period that that's just vibes of massive attack and tribe yes. called and quest. Yeah. Yeah. And and just even when I heard it, I went tribe called quest now were well ahead of the game back at that time. Like mm. they were well ahead of anyone else. Mm. And they're playing picnic this year. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I'll have to see them because they're just an act that you're never going to get to see again. But that 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 album I'm so surprised that Sinead O'Connor I, I had no idea she was that ambitious and obviously I'm quite young as well so I, I didn't have this album I don't, it was only on, on listening to it I kind of went God massive attack Tribe Called Quest what's going on but as she goes on and I, I'll hold on till you get there I can, I can see other artists emerge and I can also mm. see how maybe they got inspiration from Sinead O'Connor back at that time you know but there's a couple of times like you know just on that like you're talking about some things I think I think that the album that you know the album that's here that is great is the one that centers around nothing compares to you and um black boys and mopeds and uh you, you cause so much sorrow and yeah. it isn't yeah. the album with emperor's new clothes and jumping the river on it no like, those right. two songs just seemed so out of place for me but it's funny when i was reading up about this it said that the emperor's new clothes was like the second single or that was like the, the yeah. second song no, the first single push. was uh jump in the river but that was like in 1988 or something so then they put okay. it onto this album then emperor's new clothes and then three babies which i think is yeah <laughs> mad, mad. like it's yeah. i can imagine someone going in a, in a meeting thinking this is going to be hard to sell and then nothing compares to you happened and then they didn't need to worry but but here's a hard thing about that and this is this is one of the notes that i had about is that when you hear the emperor's new clothes and when you hear jump in the river straight away that bangs off Tori Amos or PJ Harry which would be later 90s yeah so you can yeah. just see how her sound like you know this is a sound from 1991-92 the Massive Attack Tribe Called Quest vibe that she had and Bjork and Nelly Hooper there. worked with Bjork yeah. as well and I think yeah. that's where I was seeing but the thing kind of that I, what I was doing so when I was listening it's quite a futuristic sound at that time yeah because when I was looking and it's something you just said there Ferg um, when I was listening to these I, I put in a search term and thinking saying what do people say about and then a house Sinead 
the amount of artists that I love and adore and you were talking about you two being all over this everyone who's who was anyone after 1990 was like Sinead O'Connor is my guru what she does her openness her lyrics her like it, there's so many and across all genres there was um some hip-hop uh, guy, I can't remember now. It was Eminem, I think, even, or something. Just way later on, just going, you know, Sinead O'Connor. She was such a musician's musician. Mm. And the people who referred to her and referred to her as an influence and, you know, they say you go around the world and they you say Ireland, they say Cranberries and you too, about 20 years ago. And and for, for me, it was always Sinead O'Connor. It's, it's heavy. You know, it's um, it's really personal. It's... Uh, it's kind of striving for a kind of an understanding of her situation. Mm-hmm. Like she talks about fame, she talks about the babies, which are you know apparently they were about miscarriages that she'd had. And um, she's talking about you know the death that sounds like the death of her mother and how she affects her as much uh, as when she was uh, dead as she was alive. Like it's it's heavy stuff. This is not the kind of album you put on in the background and you drift around doing housework too. Um, this is like you know this is something you sit down and. It's rewarded by you sitting down and and taking it in, but it's, it's, like it's it's ambitious and it's powerful. And her last song is her singing on her own, which I don't necessarily think massively works. I find that a little bit, um, I just can't find that. I, even with any Shano stuff and recorded, I always think live it could be incredibly powerful, but on a record I think it can lose a bit. But aside from that, like. You know, like the whole thing where it works is where it's that person. Like the whole thing's dedicated to a guy called Colin Roach who was killed um, in a police station in like 1983. He's a young black guy. And that's where the song Black Boys on Mopeds comes from about that story, you mm-hmm. know. And like, you know, like this this kind of stuff, like for like, I think she was 20 when this was released. I'm, uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe 21. But like, this is amazing, you know, like that she was do- she was writing like this with this amount of, character and depth and it power. Was, yeah, you know, and it was almost amazing. like, I remember that album being just like her therapy and I, I had put down, I didn't realise how jagged little pilly it kind of was, mm. you know. It was very, you know, I am woman, hear me roar almost before it's time and it was really good. What I found really, um, like my heart going out to her was she seems in later and later albums still to be fighting similar demons do you know yeah kinda and I think that like you were saying Kieran, you were saying earlier on if you take out what is it The Emperor's New Clothes Jump um, in the River yeah the it really is like an album of like ballads yeah. isn't it and when you li- I think w- one thing that stood out to me when you listen to the arrangements and I know I keep harping back onto this but I was, that's something that really stood out to me and surprised me um, is that the sparseness in it and how her vocals are very much at the, a lot a lot of the songs there's really very little going on mm. you have these beautiful string arrangements I was looking at like the production uh, notes or whatever on um, uh, Discogs or whatever mm. and um, I was surprised and I know this sounds terrible but at how much of a part like she played in it she, like she seemed in, to play everything yeah, yeah mm. string arranging and everything um, but playing guitar didn't know she played guitar Jesus that's terrible, um, but um, yeah, I found it really interesting. I won't, won't on a personal note. One thing that really stood out to me when I was looking through the notes: um, three different people that in the past two years I've worked with worked on this record. No way. So John Reynolds did the drums. Myself and my sister recorded our last single with him. Then a guy called Dave Monday played acoustic guitar, who I did writing sessions in London with a few years ago. And then Philip King. Um, 
melody arrangement and vocals. Well, his, well, the second track, yeah, was released on a Scullion album in 1979. Ah, it's okay. like, I think, I think th- that's a really good thing because the, the two covers they chose, like the, you know, um, uh, sorry, I can't remember the name of it just off the top of my head. The second track, anyway, is released, uh, was released in 1979, but it totally fits completely with the album. Mm-hmm. You know, um, nothing compares to you was released in, on 19, in 1985 by um, Prince and the Family. You know, and then it was released later by Prince and Rosie Gaines on another album. You know, so like, how how did they find that album? Mm. You know, how did they find the mm. song? And like, don't it's you, it's entirely her song. Like, mm-hmm. it's everything it that makes it for in, her. Everything that's perfect about it fits this entirely. Like the personal, you know, all the flowers that you planted, Mama, in the backyard. Yeah. Like, you know, but like, like Shane O'Connor's life has been, you know harder I think than a lot of people you know you can argue that some of that is, is her like she says that she's a she's a troublemaker you know when this before this album was released she said you can't get anywhere in Ireland without sucking you two's dick you know like do yeah. you know what I mean? like that yeah. kind of stuff like you know like or maybe she was a troublemaker she was troubled yeah mm. but the thing about it is, is yeah, like it's also like she's a, she's kind of, she's an amazing person like she's yeah. an, uh, she's a remarkably interesting person yeah. and she's also someone who's constantly fighting against things and you know sometimes it's it's the church sometimes it's the state sometimes it's her gable. family sometimes it's friends it's gable it's whatever it's yeah. against everything you know yeah. and you can hear that like that that trying to understand everything on this and but the other thing about it is is that i don't know if i think it's a bit too heavy to listen to i don't know if i love it as a result um, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I For think me, it's an amazing see, it document. It was also the do- the decade that she's marking, and the decade all of these are mar- marking are the time that those people were twenty one, twenty. They were like, I was in school. They were out in the world, and it was the fr- you know, it was almost the establishment going. Hey, on your ch- what, what are you talking about? You're you know, you don't have an opinion. And for us, it was like, yeah, we're we can have an opinion and, and you know she, so her and a couple of I think a house I'm going to keep harping on about it but um, people were like starting to stay, say stuff and comment on stuff instead of just singing stuff and she was right out there at the front of that I think um, for Ireland and, and that she and Mary Robinson just came to the fore in, in the same year I think is no coincidence either there was something bubbling up in Ireland then um, and two years later the Cranberries exactly the you know so it was it was coming it was definitely though. coming under um, and uh, but it was it's it's a heartbreaking but I think beautifully written album yeah I think it's a, an extremely powerful example of ownership I mean you use kind of words like troubled and raw and I think at one point you said like it, it, it's almost like her therapy mm. I think that's one of the reasons why like it's it's a tough record but like it does kind of feel like someone not necessarily in a therapy session because I feel like if she, if she was in a therapy session she'd be leading the therapy session I don't think she'd be lying back and just kind of letting someone kind of pontificate for her like she manages to get across so many kind of viewpoints and personal ones too across the kind of error and change or whatever it goes by and it's it's kind of amazing that she can kind of genre hop a little bit I mean you kind of mentioned hip hop Louise and like that song I'm stretched in your grave it's kind of littered with those uh, like as kind of Fergal was saying like like, like I thought in, instantly of Massive Attack Unfinished Sympathy and it has that weird kind of like early 90s watching a trailer for an action movie thing where it has those little kind of like gleaming synths coming in here and there and like in any other production you'd be like well this is totally out of place especially for track two on a thing that isn't a motif as the record opens up but she just owns it she owns everything mm-hmm. on this with such conviction and as you know 
Keir Connor said that she's a remarkably interesting character, and she definitely, definitely is. I think this record speaks to that. I, I, I thought it was a fucking masterpiece, really, at, at, at times. I mean, yeah, it's got a couple of dips here and there, but overall, I was really compelled by it. And again, um, yeah, myself too, more than I thought I would be. I kind of thought, well, I kind of know what I'm getting here. And it's also kind of easy to project, like, oh, I know, you know, she gets big into faith at one point like in her career so are we seeing things that here and it's kind of like easy to do that but at the same time like it's never ostracizing like I never felt like mm. I was being it never felt didactic it never felt like she was lecturing the listener it just felt like hey well this is her and if you want to listen to it listen to it and if you can tune into it great and I did and I was just like holy shit this is a fucking great album mm. so uh, yeah um, big fan and uh, never something completely different here's Clonid. Uh, Fergal, take us away. Do you have the uh, requisite Celtic soul, as it were? All right, here it is. Yeah, so on and by Clonid. Now, this is an interesting period for Clonid, just to kind of bring you up to speed. It started off in 1970. They're working with Enya. There's Paul, there's Kieran, there's Moore, Brennan. Uh, there's Noel Duggan and there's Porrick Duggan. And, you know, they're based out of Guidor and Donegal. Very, very remote part of Ireland. Now, you can imagine 1970, that part of Donegal, very troubled times uh, to be living in Northern Ireland. Start with this wonderful music, uh, this wonderful Celtic kind of solely jazzy vibe of thing that they're doing with a little bit of Gregorian chant. Bring us back up to the 80s. Harry's game is is brought out. Enya becomes huge. It goes off on her solos run. And the guys are kind of dwindling down. They don't know what way they're going to go. Now, at this stage, Paul leaves the band. And Kieran, Mora, Noel and Pora are left together and they come out with Anna. The one thing I will say about this genre of music is it is, and a lot of the time, because we're based in Ireland and we live in a small island, we don't realise how much of a big, massive export this type of music is. It is loved worldwide in countries that we would never think of. I know this because I've travelled and if you're looking for Irish albums, these are the albums you see on sale. You will find a Clonad album before you'll find a U2 album. You will find a Dudanan album, A Woman's Heart, before you'll find another album. I really enjoyed it. Love the tracks on it. Uh, the reason why I picked it as the album that I kind of wanted to focus on is, is that there is a whole marker for this music that we really, we, you know, oftentimes we step away from, but this is the type of music that gets sampled in dance tracks. This is the type of music that gets used then independently as its own thing too as well. And when these people perform, you actually get captivated by them. Like I've seen a couple of these type of acts, particularly Clannet, and when you when you go to see them, you just shut up, sit down, and enjoy the music. And it is as beautiful as that. Uh, they were very experimental at this stage. You know, it's 1990. You know, Irish music is doing well. We've got the Hot House Flowers, we've got Sinead O'Connor, Our House, all these brilliant bands. These guys held their own fort. They stuck up what they knew best. Added a little bit of a jazzy vibe. A couple of tracks on here I liked. In Fortune's Hand uh, has that big jazz sound of vocals. A little bit of urgency in there. And this is something that you'll see through the album because it does drift between the instrumentals and that real Celtic story. Everyone always thinks of intermission and Colomini's car driving by. And I had said this to you earlier on, I'd love to bring in Colomini in here tonight now just to talk to you all. He should be president of Ireland. That man should be canonised. But this Will and Irish sound along with the Gregorian chant as well, they do experiment with this. And there is a track here as well, which I really like, Love and Affection. 
which is done by Kieran Brennan his own and it just has it has that big Irish sound and there's a lot of ordination on the piano it was in like there's it's not messing around it's not just a melody like this is this is really technical music there's there's no way like you you seriously have to sit down and learn for hours it's not just a melody like this like, oh, totally there's right. different harmonies there's different things going on at different times and there's a sense of guitar presence in that along with this uh Along with that, on the instrumental side, you have Wilderness and you have Dover as well. I think these are important to note because it shows that they can vary out of this kind of jazzy vibe that they were going for and come back more into that folk thing, uh, which really opens it up. It's the kind of album that, you know, I listened to this album the first time and I'd, I'd gone through kind of a few albums on this on the on the big list. And then I kept coming back to this album like, oh God, I really like that. It's the kind of album I draw on on a Sunday afternoon out in the garden mm. listen to it in the background have a few drinks with the lads and I don't think anyone would tell me to turn it off and that's what I loved about it I totally agree but the only thing I thought about it and just on that is that at times it kind of sounds like the, you know the kind of music that would, if you went to a heritage museum if you went to the Newgrange visitor room that's <laughs> mm. the music to be on at times and then if you went for a massage you know that the new age kind of thing. There's a bit of that. The I know, it's, it's the Irish Peruvian pipes is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's weird because uh, because it is actually, as you just said, it's this is it's so easy to listen to. I mean, it is possibly to the point where it's that's bad, but it's also like it, there's nothing. It's just it just flows like just flows over you. You know, like the two songs I have written down in Fortune's Hand and Love and Affection. Standouts for me, absolutely yeah. brilliant. In the American version of this, which was released a year later, "Once in a Lifetime," which is the song with with Bono on it, is is also on it. I'm yeah, sure once it's commercial, yeah. Two years later, they released them again with the bonus tracks. But I think that's a testament to this time in music. I think that that's that's just like, it's like for them, they're like, okay, this is kind of going to break. Well, let's push it over because there is that renewed vigor in them after Enya leaving. So they're kind of going, come on, how do we do it? Bono's in the act. Well, this is it, yeah. And it, like, it, but it's weird as well because it's three siblings. And two uncles, you know, mm-hmm. one of the uncles leave, or one of the brothers leaves. It's a mad family band, you know. And, and he it, consequently and comes back in two thousand later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 a funny thing. And the other guy, Kieran Brennan, has taken over from the writing, and he's much more into it. Like so, you can hear there's more male vo- voices, not just Moya's voice, kind of in it. You know, I, I don't know. It's 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 much more of a band album than I thought it was. Than I thought it would be. Sorry. I expected to be more trad, more instrumentals, more Irish, and more kind of floaty. But at times, it's proper. You know, really kind of catchy songs. Like that song, Love and Affection, like that, you could put that on the radio. You could do a cover of that and, you know, some band coming into you next week and it would be it would be great. It would stand out, you know. Like, the I quality of songwriting really stands up. It's also the album that every American girl thinks is going to be on when she walks into a random pub in Ireland and meets <laughs> the most handsome guy ever. You know, it is that almost Ed Sheeran, Saoirse Ronan, god-awful story of how you <laughs> fall in love on the crack in Ireland. Um, and it's, it probably, it, and it's, uh, I think for me it was LA's picture and still is to some extent, um, the Hollywood picture of what Ireland sounds like. And, and it is the kind of, you know, it is the it is the Celtic, the Ireland's pan pipes and, and, and stuff. But it's you're dead right. There is nothing wrong with it. I would listen to it, and I would have to if I was in your back garden listening to it with Bud. I wouldn't ask you to turn it off either. And I think there came and you went into complete experimentalville in her castle and made a trillion. And they, I think probably they were always going to split up because that she got more pan pipey and they got more. Um, jazzy and experimental and even sometimes indie 
Uh, to a little extent, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I think they, it, it was probably going to be inevitable that they were going to part ways and otherwise would maybe have remained her backing band. That That, um, is, that is quite true. Yeah, and the thing so. is, is that uh, there's two things we need to note here. Like, number one, this is 20 years after Clonet is formed in a very yeah. troubled time 12th, in Northern Ireland. Yeah. yeah, this is like just 20 years on. And yet these guys are still doing this. And the other thing is, predominantly with traditional groups in Ireland, and I know this from looking at them, they change they change musicians all the time. Now, it's, you don't hear about it that much when it happens in Ireland with ba- other bands, but when it happens with traditional groups, nobody really knows their name anyway. So they swap mm. all the time. So if you look at the Danon now, compared to what the Danon was back in the day with Frankie and all the gang, it's a totally different band. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, it's, there's always generally one core member or two or three core members, and they'll keep it at that. Which, I suppose if you're it. family, it's very hard to... To, to stay away from each other didn't for, stop any yeah, but yeah. you know but, but, but that's that's kind of what you're looking at here and I do go back to the original point though it is that whole thing that we don't see because well I am I, I, I'm not going to speak for anyone here I'm an absolute anorak when it comes to music and I will tell you this much that this here is a way bigger Irish export than any other band we have at the moment I don't know why that is but literally when you're in Africa or airports or anything like this, if you go into any Irish place, they, they're selling these albums. Oh, the and Gloaming these albums are doing this. Fly out, yeah. they fly out. The Gloaming are doing something similar, mm. similar at the moment. You know yeah, it's mean? just like that, Jane. Yeah, and like we Banjo 3 are starting to get up there, yeah. Like it's, it's it, I mean, it's assuming there. that you're really good as well, it, it, it will sell. People want that. People want that version of it. And the thing about, I think, one thing about this was it made me go and listen to other Clannad stuff because I found it quite, it was more interesting than I thought. The next album, Lore, has all this gorgeous African kind of chanting in it and some of the songs and I just f- I found that really arresting and really really interesting you know so and that gave rise to the Africa sound system that particular album that's where they got their whole vibe of the Lore the yeah, album which yeah, is the next it, it's album it's like literally yeah we, we need to like that, that that particular sound you see and that that's still given rise to some so of these groups. Funny, as we're looking at them, the global influences that a lot of these al- albums had, you know, I think yeah, at the nineteen ninety as a year, yeah, in time, that was unbelievable. World stage time, yeah, and all of us sports culturally just really stepping onto the international stage with our bags well packed. And I suppose it's, it's actually interesting because uh, with the football, the be- best ever that the soccer had done, you know, and that was blasted us up, you know, as well, and all these albums like. You know, you two taking over the world, Sinead O'Connor having that mega hit, you know. Mm. Yeah, I am of Ireland, come make shit hop music with me in Ireland. Oh, <laughs> that's it, that's what it is, you know. I had to check woman actually. Woman president around Europe at that time, probably, you know, we were, pro- we were doing an awful lot to, you know, kind of get us on the world stage. And I wonder, I have no idea, I wasn't, you know, none of us, I suppose, were old enough, but I, I have no idea what people thought of us before that maybe I don't know but it seems a very now that we're talking about it going God actually starting to come out of something yeah yeah. yeah. and plus we were making a transition at that time as well you know because that that was in around the time that we had you know Slane kind of started in the 80s but we also had the trip to Tip and Fail as well which were huge and in around that time it was kind of it was deemed to be more acceptable now to be mad into rock bands and rock music whereas kind of for a period there a lot of people would have been into this kind of music or trial instruments. It would have been kind of the things that were more taught at school and things like that. So you could see how there would be a market for it a little yeah. bit more back then. Well, that's it. I they think we kind change of as well. Planet had to also change to, from just being a simple, you know, you know, in, instrumental kind of trial band into something more interesting. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were always, it seems like they were always interesting. Um, but it's just, it was more like you couldn't just 
trade on you know that because the, the audience had sort of moved on a little mm. bit. Okay. I wonder if they had a conscious eye on kind of marketability and even the world stage because like the first two songs, Rina, Cronia, and the title track, I believe, they're mad cinematic. Uh, like in terms of not, not necessarily dating it, but like they kind of reminded me of the soundtracks to the likes of the Lost Boys and Black Ray, and even with the kind of synthy elements. And I was shocked because I mean again, like I tie clanned totally to Colomini's delusional detective Sergeant Jerry yeah, Lynch yeah, yeah. intermission so I was expecting like it to be this parody pastiche of I- Irish tunage you know and actually it was like holy shit this is actually really like it's it's surprisingly palatable for an American audience like I mean it felt like it like these are big songs with huge production and I can totally see why it would I mean, even like you mentioned in Fortune's Hand earlier on Kira that goes like all 80s cop show theme tune with a yeah. raven saxophone at one mm-hmm. point and I was like this is clonid really but you know a bit of sax every now and then is alright M83 when they brought it in for their big hit was, was, was very enjoyable even if they haven't really done a lot of good stuff since but what can I say it's a more personal issue of mine we'll move on to A House and I Want Too Much which sounds like this Okay, so that's a house. Angela, So take it away. I am appalled that a house nearly didn't make it into this list. No. Uh, a house for me, I, you know, my first entrepreneurial music related activity was um, getting my brother to ring his friend who had a, who knew the number of a guy who had a bus and, and all of us putting our money together and getting a bus to Dublin and going to see a house in McGonagall's. Um, they were out around the same time, the Golden Horde. There was, when you you had something happens to Stunning, all of them, Hot House Flowers, you can keep them. Uh, a house, uh, kind of Golden Horde, Sultans, Frank Malters, that was our gang. Um, it was the people who wrote good songs without taking themselves too seriously. But however, the songs were still um, about good things. They didn't sound Irish, I think, which was... Um, and I don't mean that in a good or a bad way. I just mean they had a bigger sound than the Irish sound. They weren't just writing for Irish audiences. They were writing for um, international audiences, for international careers, for international um, and I suppose global issues. This is very much, this is their second album and it's 13 Wonderful Love Songs and I think it's very aptly named um it's it's recorded in a house in Inishbofin, and there's lovely little pieces on the track where I think one of his kids or one of someone's kids are running around and they're sampled in it, um, and he's uh, proposes in it. He writes uh, a song to someone who clearly didn't treat him very well or he didn't like very much. Um, so it's kind of all of his 
Pasta Loves. Um, so lyrically, I think it's really tongue in cheek. Um, if you, I suppose, drew a line from where he were a house were, and it's no surprise that a house, Divine Comedy and the Frank and Walters all ended up in Satanta Records in London and and in the closing kind of live stages of, of a house and Divine Comedy, they those three toured together. Um, and I remember seeing the, them in the Olympia and going, I can die tonight for Irish music. This is it. It's amazing. And these are all ours. And it, it's it's fantastic. Like I, I consume um, music by my chest bone. You know, it doesn't matter what genre the music is. If it lands, if I either believe it or I don't believe it. And it lands on my clavicle or it doesn't. And he, every single one of these songs landed. And then in the middle, there's one about... Um, it's sung from he sings it, but it's sung from sung from the girl point of view about a um, man, yeah, man strong and rape culture in the nineties. And I don't remember that. I was possibly maybe a little too young for that, thankfully. But uh, it was a thing at the time, and it I was. I thought that one was a bit clunky. You thought it was a bit clunky. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe was he? Did he feel a bit? I think weird cool about he wrote because it, he wrote. Yeah, but I no, wonder I did he feel a bit? Doesn't always land. But, yeah, know. I wonder did he feel a bit um, weird about singing it? He wanted very much to sing it for a, from a woman's point of view, and I, I remember listening back to it, thinking something now with today's sensibility. He was quite the original feminist. I think it's always to be admired for a band to be always trying to be intelligent and trying to say yeah, something and be themselves and he was all like that band were always trying to say something and it was it's it's brilliant i never felt like a lot of the stuff i find you know lyrically i find or sorry um um yeah lyrically to be a little bit clunky but yeah, it's because I he's trying to say yeah. something. Not, not always, yeah. but um, but I love that because I want I want the person to be saying something, and because he's saying something, this is the only way he can say it. This is how it comes out. Yeah, and he's great. even you get the feeling he's trying the whole album, trying to say it, um, and even you you feel like interviews subsequently and stuff. He, I don't know if he feels he got there either, well, um, this which is, is a, very this is, interesting. There a, was a melody maker piece um, that said they they quite they sounded quite like the Kinks. Um, and that one or two of, of the songs were and it was they were really really they were getting written about in 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 places that other Irish bands at the time weren't I, I found the album to be a bit in, unsure at times what I thought what? there's a track in it called I Think I'm Going Mad and I think it is one of the best songs I've heard in the last one yeah. I think it's not even like one of the best Irish songs one of the best of their songs I think it's Brilliant. Yeah, it is. Uh, and uh, but I feel like that. Literally, I feel like that about the entire well, album. I, I think, think that it's a bit unsure. You know, like there's one yeah. song he sings in a different, I admire different that. style to another song. The first track kind of goes to falsetto. I all. It sounds to me like someone figuring out. You know, some things. But it, like the patron saying to me, media. That's one of my favorite. Like, I, I just one. think, and and he's saying exactly what you're saying there. He's like, we don't have to have it figured out, but don't be me. Be anything, but don't be mediocre. Oh no! Listen, and that's that's a great yeah. way to live, you know. But I, it, it's funny because afterwards they were dropped after this album. Yeah. And then what happened was they they two of the members left, I think, and they came back, you know, uh, two years later with a six piece lineup, I mm. think, and they released "I Am the Greatest," which is the, the album that everyone says is their album, and that's the one where they're sure of themselves. So I think I I did feel like I think that was indicative of where they See, were. See, and I preferred this one too. Okay, that well, one. Well, I, I preferred this, I, yeah. and then. His own just towards the end. Oh no, when there's, they were there's the another 90s. album called um, 
No More Apologies yes. which is their last uh, house album and I really liked that which one which I loved and this one I loved as but well. I, I felt like they got it, 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 it he was just working it out a bit still and they were himself. getting there in this one yeah the lyrics yeah. in the later one was much better this feels like it's almost just almost um, everything it's like this was for me it was between this one and, and Fatima Mansions and I thought both of them had everything that they are good at. Each mm. person is good at writing. It's funny because he... just neither of them were just f- the finished yeah, thing. Yeah, he, he wrote... The album he wrote in, in 2010 where he taught himself how to play piano, he he said he sat there for ages thinking, how would Cahill Coughlin ah. write this song? And that And he said, so I rang him and I asked him and... He did it and sent it to me, and they never met each other. <laughs> he just he did the piece for the the album he did in twenty ten and and sent it back to him, and then that was it. I don't know. I don't know if they've subsequently met each other, but I just thought it was funny. That he's you know Fatima Mansions obviously were wouldn't have been a million miles from them at the time. No, actually, but I think they were really, both with that bands album, that were yeah. trying just constantly trying to be you know trying to do something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I quite like the tone of this record. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of the songs are that kind of jaunty, upbeat tone dressed up with a bit of venom, like a bit mm. of kind of resentment. And I mean, you kind of mentioned like they didn't care about being everybody's friend and the kind of scene around them, which again, as you say, here, does take some balls. I mean, like, you know, it's great that people support themselves in the Irish music industry. But I guess if you were kind of, you know, kicking against the curb in that regard, I mean, I think they do it quite well. And I, I'm a huge fan of when someone gets that right and it doesn't just sound like, mm. you know, a spoiled brat or something. Yeah, I, mean, I love like, the sarcasm. Yeah, it's so, so clever about it. It's dripping in sarcasm. Yeah. And again, like that, like he has the courage of his convictions, and I guess the smarts to pull it off, and that's kind of what kept me hooked. And I do agree that I think I'm going mad is an excellent song. Uh, it's a fascinating record, and I, I think it's kind of like that kind of thing of like it's at times it threatens to kind of just come off the tracks, but they just about keep it going, mm. which again takes a skill in, in and of itself. And um, yeah, no, I was um, like, it's kind of like. It's I hate genre kind of like, like like categorizing too much, but like this this to me is like what pop punk should be in that mm. like it's both like it, which to me and I, I can draw a line all the way to girl band from this absolutely album. Yeah, yeah totally and I mean yeah I mean like, I wonder how like like are, are they are they kind of held up as much as they should be I mean like mm. in, in the conversation because I mean like yeah you see them around but like they kind of go under the radar a bit I think mm. um, but no it's a it's a good record you you fan. I'd have to agree with you on that. I think they do go under the records, uh, under the radar, I should say. It, the reason why is because a lot of my mates that would have played in different bands, like Riverlet Quartet, things like that, they've all played with Kaus and they've all said like, oh God, he's brilliant. And there is, there definitely is between the records, that progression. Um, and I think the progression is, is, is kind of like, they're always trying to get somewhere and Dave does that. But Dave himself is an eccentric character. Mm. So that, I think that, that the beautiful thing about his album is, is that that eccentricity, if that's a word, or that eccentricness, that comes out in the album. Like, And I don't think I'd rip that down or shred it down. I definitely don't think that as a band they get enough credit or enough no. praise. I think that they're often one of those kind of overlooked bands. So it's funny, we're actually on the way down here at the moment and we were talking earlier on today and we are talking about a brilliant band that started up at the moment, Columbia Mills, who've actually been on the road for a while. And I just hope that that doesn't happen to them as well. You know, Mm. there's so many bands like this that you see and it's like that ongoing fight. And for someone who's done so much Irish music, yeah, I definitely think that it is one of those ones that does slide under the radar. Totally agree with you, David. Okay, well, finally, uh, today, we have one that didn't slide under the radar at all. It was actually quite a chart success. This is The Stunning and Paradise in the Picture House. Man holds a mystery, someone else holds the key. It's a shame they're the same, the answer doesn't have to be 
Okay, so yeah, this was number one in the Irish charts for five weeks. Uh, apparently it was the first time a debut record from an Irish band has achieved this. Now, if you're coming to this record fresh and you're using Spotify, as I do, uh, you might be a bit confused because it was reissued in 2003 and, my God, it was like shuffling a pack of cards because it went from an 8-track album to a 12-track album and the order was kind of switched around and a track was lost and they put in a live song. So yeah, I mean, like it's difficult to kind of even track down the original so, uh, but if you're coming into this blind as well, I'd be curious to know what you would think because the first track on the 2003 reissue is Brewing Up a Storm, which you've just heard there. And apparently this is like their most beloved song, but I, I gotta know, right? I mean, did they intentionally rip off Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oster Cult? Because come on, <laughs> like that is from like that opening riff. I was like, oh, I put on the wrong album. I've dipped into my Blue Oyster Cult collection, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, it's so blatant. Like, it's kind of like that, like, uh, who was it? It was the Flame Ellipse. They did a song called Fight Test, and oh, yeah. it was Father and Son by Cat Stevens. Yeah. Mm. And apparently Wayne Coyne was like, oh, shit, I didn't realize, but, you know, had to pay some money. So I'm not trying to get any legal battles going with it for anybody, but it's really, really close to it. And I feel like a lot of this record actually does kind of jump genre to genre quite quickly. And again, if you kind of go into that kind of new kind of track editing, I mean, like, you got, like, Romeo's and Fire. It's this kind of weird ska number. It's good for this ska, this skank. Like, it feels like my first ska song, though. I, I, I know I sound very <laughs> down on this record already, but, like, I struggled with this one because I found it very confusing. I found it, like, to be, like, at first I was like, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Like, the one thing I will say about this record, like, is the enthusiasm is off the scale. Like, Steve Wall is a gregarious personality. I don't know if it's just because I've had the pleasure of interviewing him before, but, like, he's a very kind of smiley dude and, like, really kind of has a lot of passion. When it comes to this record, though, like, I mean, like, that passion is, is, is to the fore, but it's, like, one minute it's ska, one minute it's surf rock, one minute it's kind of, you know, like, your standard kind of indie thing. And I was reminded of Intermission again, the film, because the score on that film is actually by John Murphy, which was surprised me, because John Murphy did the score on 28 Days Later in Sunshine, and did wonderful kind of gloomy, dark, orchestral stuff. Up Adagio and D minor is kind of his calling card. But on intermission, the kind of stings are really kind of just like stock, indie, jaunty, upbeat guitar to set the tone for this kind of knockabout comedy drama that can't quite nail its own tone. I love that film, but it's got some problems. But with this record, I mean, like, I like this record, but it's got some problems. I mean, like, like I feel like they couldn't settle on a tone. And that's why I was kind of surprised that it was such a massive hit, that people were so taken to it in this country but they like, were one knows. of the biggest they were like before this was released I think they'd released a couple of singles over over a couple of years um, and they played the shit out of the country so by the time I think they played the first Fela um, by the time they, it came around to an album they were already you know they were already filling venues you know so I think people already loved them live you know and like I think that's one of the, that's where they made the name. And Brewing Up a Storm is is whether or not it sounds like Blue Oyster Cult. It is. A, it's a great song. You know, it's a song that will get everyone. You go to an indie disco and they play, you know, Brewing Up a Storm and everyone gets up and goes mad. You know, that's just like it's it's that that was I think that was the only song on this album that didn't 
hit the charts or something? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I think they, like, they might have brought it as a single at some point, but it didn't. Yeah, it didn't the, the hit. The other ones all did really, really well. But it's interesting how that happened. But um, now it's the one, obviously, that that, that that has lasted. But, you know, I think it was the Romeo was on fire was their big hit. That was their well. big one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, look, I mean, you know, it is a bit weird about the track listing thing, but... You know, one of the new additions is a song called um, uh, "Delicate Web," which is a, which is a great tune. I think the Stunning are one of these bands that I think you can, you know, nobody. This isn't an our house album. This isn't, you know, incredibly detailed stuff, you know, lyrically about politics or any of that kind of stuff. But it's it's fun, as you said. It's got an enormous amount of life in it, and it also you said it sounds like you know comedy knockabout, but it also sounds like like a live like. A live, a lot of live gigs. You know, it sounds like the kind of gig you go to. And but, like, do you think that was the intention to be like, okay, we have this success, we have this momentum, and we want people to keep coming to our gigs. So let's give them, you know, for lack of a better term, a live album. Well, I do think that um, because it does jump it's around. Their first like, album, like, like, so I think there's a Downhill Country song in there as well. Yeah, so but it just every, feels like every this band like... on their first album is working out, working it out. You know, and I think you can't be too harsh with a band on their first album about the tone that you're trying to find. You you, you say that to an, a band three or four albums in, but on your first album, you are still trying to figure out what kind of band you are. You're a huge mix of your influences. You're a huge mix of the things that you want to sound like. So that's what that album is. They were probably trying to correct that. With but the, what about the cliche that, you know, you spend your whole life writing to write your first album, like it's all, you have the narrative down. Because as a narrative, this is, like, even even regardless of track listing, regardless of sequencing, whichever one you go with, the narrative is kind of strange. It doesn't quite, have a, a cohesion to it like I mean like I think it definitely works perfectly as a microcosm or a distillation of the band and what they can do but I think if you are looking for like not every album has to tell a great story but this one just kind of feels like and I hate this term and I'm putting myself out there as a bad critic for it but it just sounds like a collection of songs <laughs> okay you know <laughs> well that's what an album is the only point the only point that that happens to me now and I, I, I know what you're getting at there and it's, oh, it's a horrible thing to say. I know. The, 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 the first thing, the first thing I'm going to say here, right, is number one. Somebody, the new single out of the moment, the stunning have, and somebody actually did send me in a, a, a tweet saying, "God, you know something? Great song. Sounds just like the ceiling of the last album." And I kind of went, "What?" And I went, you know, and I went back and I checked it. It actually did sound like this song, which I, I reckon they said the same. I went back and listened to it. It does sound a lot like this brand new release. So the stunning have a new single out. They have a new Not single the walls. out. Right at the moment. No, it's the stunning. They've changed. It's like they went to the walls, bright and shine and so on, all that. And now they're back to the stunning again. Okay, it's a thing again. That's a thing again. Uh, and it's Steve Wall and the Brother Hall. Now. Let's go back to this album. I had the cassette, and I'm glad you brought up that whole the whole rigmarole about how it's so different on Spotify. Mm. I had this, and I had Inspiral Carpets, Deja Vu, and there were two cassettes I used to listen to. Did you to. buy this, this with a, when you bought No, I didn't, buy, I didn't buy this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't even remember where I was bought these. Was this a butcher's? No, it wasn't a butcher's. <laughs> go again. Was eh, the other half the shoe shop? There's one song on this album that I absolutely, and I'm going to curse, I fucking hate, and it's Roll and Tumble. It's 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 the one song on the album. I don't understand it. It it's sounds like waves, waves no. You're on you're on the French Riviera, and there's a lovely accordion playing in the background. That's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like accordion from Claire or from Gaul or anything like that. It sounds like it's playing in the background. And then Steve Wall takes on this different accent, right? But and like no disrespect to Steve, I love the man, right? He's a phenomenal actor, phenomenal musician. But it just it, it it just grinds me when I hear it. And I remember there was the one song I always fast forward and I was like, oh, jeez. Is that the one with the Spanish kind of... It's more accordion in it. I'm right in saying that. It is more... It's more accordion. It also sounds a lot like kind of like their attempt at doing The Wreck of the Edmonds Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot, which is a phenomenal piece of music. But it just, again, it just feels so tethered to that. Like, like oh, well, let's have our 
like a big song in this bracket because we have this country song, we've got this ska song, this out the blocks rock song. I do find myself with this particular album drawing lines to other songs from other artists. You yeah. said, you know, uh, the Oyster Cult. Uh, you know, now that the only thing about that song though is it doesn't have a fire in your eyes, in your hair, fire in your touch. <laughs> and that to me was the standalone part of that song. So I remember I'd be thinking about going to Junior Discos going, fucking yeah, Jesus, yeah. That's the line of touch. I'm telling you, it's getting late now, you know what I mean? But but every other song has got a line <laughs> coming from it. That's a bit, uh, sorry, that's a bit out there. I went off there, I'll come back. It was, uh, that was vivid. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't remember, I was listening to this and I was like, We're, I don't, I didn't remember the stunning being reggae man, you know? Mm. Th- there's a reggae track, there's, um, I think you're right, I think it's, that's the it's a debut thing. album and you do, there are multiple styles in it. There was no doubting that they were huge around this album. You know, I think then I think you can have a couple of albums to get your sound, to get your feel. You Our did. House did it. The industry doesn't have the patience for that anymore. Clana took 12 albums. As the <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, like, I mean, I think I think it's just a little bit. It's, you're looking at things that through in 2017 pair of glasses, I think they're um, talking no, about. No, in 1990, I wouldn't have been listening to this. OK, one. OK. Well, I am. I'll say that much. And I will say that if I was to look at this through a Kanye West pair of glasses, what I would say, my beloved Kanye West, is that the notion of going back and repurposing a record and kind of constantly tweaking it and like not having the ability to leave it alone. Obviously, they did leave it alone for a long time. It's not quite the same level of perfectionism. But... I do think that the the reissue uh, succeeds in some places. The, like the tracks that were added. I mean, the second half of it is really like, the closing act. I should say is very very strong. It because, makes it I, mean, a bit, like, I think they made it a better. I agree. I like think. ten for sale and wish we never met are agreeably melancholic. And yeah. I mean, like but kind but of good on them for going back. Yeah, to that's it. the thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Then they close it with like you know this track uh, which is under two minutes called Men Without Souls. And that's a real, like, interesting kind of decide how, how full is your glass way to end a record. And I feel like ending a record is a lost art in itself. I mean, a lot of albums that come out, especially commercial-minded mm. ones these days, are just, like, that kind of collection of songs, complaint I had before, where it's like, well, this could be any song ending it. And I do love when an album sticks to landing, and I think this one does in its 2003 form. It's interesting you say that, because Hot As Flowers is a Shannos, you know, two-minute Shannos song at the end. Shane O'Connor has the title track as a... As Which a, I really like, by the way. I want to say, like, I, I actually think that, that, that that's a really elegant and personal way to, to close yeah, that Yeah, I record. wasn't a huge fan, but it, I think it's a cool way of doing it. And then A House, they had I Want Too Much. And yeah. the, on their next album, they had an album, a song called I Wanted Too Much, which was talking... Which seemed to be hawking. Just pulling string in from the previous one. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. kind of made sense. I mean, mm. at the end of the track. But there was a, you know, a finale to it, but... Well, there you, are. you get the sense with this record that they tried to make a statement and they definitely made a statement of sorts I mean like it's certainly finding an audience and I guess keeping it and even like managing to revive it now that's great and like you know like, as we mentioned before that like we're fans of Steve he's a great guy and like I think that in terms of this record that the lack of discernible identity it leads to kind of a scattershot sense of cohesion like if that's what you want from your records and I do agree with Angela that it has dated and it's just that kind of style like that you're like yeah I mean this I think it's not to, it doesn't stand out from the pack as much as you would want it to, but then again, hey, what am I like? It found an audience and a big one, so yeah, they have an incredibly professional Wikipedia page. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> which I always think is pretty much essential for a band. Your one still has a photograph of you at like the last ever gig in two thousand and eight. I, I give up Wikipedia pages I every refuse, time we do one. Someone rewrites it I for refuse us to and go puts in all. Yeah. <laughs> people go in and they'll like rewrite the history of everything we do. And the cool, like, the thing now Wikipedia pages, if someone dies, people rush on to Wikipedia to to put in like a bizarre fact that almost seems true. 
because then they'll oh, see news the report. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Nick oh, be like, brilliant. famously, it's, uh, it's Tom invented the dishwasher. Right? <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, I'm going to go with Sinead O'Connor. Because for various reasons, mainly because it was, I felt like it was quite a complete work, and I felt it was an excellent kind of guide to Sinead O'Connor. If no, if never heard it before, if you were a fan, I'd be like, well, this encapsulates your spirit quite well. The songs are incredibly strong, and I, I was pretty much taken with it and compelled from start to finish. So for me, it's Sinead O'Connor, Louise. For me, I'm going to agree with you, Sinead O'Connor as well. And I know yeah. that was the album I was representing, but um, yeah. I listened to this and it gave me goosebumps. I'm going to say it just that vocal verse is just incredible um, and it, this album for me it, it felt like a journey especially lyrically just um, it's incredibly strong so I would say yes Sinead O'Connor I'm going to go with Sinead O'Connor uh, I, I, you will find this quite surprising but the reason why I'm going with this is that is an album of empowerment and mm. the minute I from the minute I listened to it I'm surprised I hadn't listened to it beforehand and I have listened to it about five times since and I just think that a hell of a lot more artists got influence from Sinead O'Connor than we actually let out. I think in Ireland we're, we're oblivious to that. Mm. I think internationally she's got a hell of a lot more claims. So I'm going to go with that. And I am, I, I, I hate saying this, I have to put a stamp out there for Hot House Flowers Home because I just, there's something beautiful about that album. And I think that if I was ever looking for something that that really signified what Liam and Whaley and the gang were all about, that, that particular album of the Hot House Flowers stuff, that for me is the one I would go to. It's a good shout. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go for so for what this podcast is I suppose um, I think that I'm going to say Hot House Flowers because I think Sinead O'Connor like this album has one of the biggest Irish hits of all time and nobody needs nobody needs to be too recommended to go to this album I, that's what I think I mean I, I mean, everyone else is going to do it and that's fine but for me I'm saying Hot House Flowers it's not a perfect album Um and I, and I don't even think, I don't even think that everyone is going to love it. But I think it's something that sh- people should check out. I was surprised by how much I thought it, how good it was. So I'm going for Hot House Flowers. Why do you hate impairment, Kieran? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I love. Why are you anti women, Kieran? <laughs> uh, I am going to do exactly what you're doing, but I'm going to do it with a house. Um, I I think Sinead would definitely be. I would pick two, and she would be my second. She'd be my second because. Um, and and they're it all because it, it's it's phenomenal and it's it's strong and it's surprisingly strong for someone her age at the time and someone so vulnerable and um, really honest and to be that honest takes guts um, and I think it's a very gutsy and beautiful um, sometimes beautiful album um, I think a house because for the same reason I I think they're underrated I think. Everyone, everyone who's in a band today needs to listen to it. If you're in a band and you're taking it too seriously, it'll make you kind of laugh at yourself a bit. If you're in a band and not taking yourself seriously enough and, and playing what you think people want to hear, you'll hear the the um, the kind of just the, the beauty of a singular voice and the singular voice that wasn't listening to the bands that were being released around him. And, and weren't being influenced by a bunch of other bands who kind of sounded the same at the time. They just got on their, you know, Inishboffin hotel, old place and, and just made this beautiful album and made their own path to the beach. And um, I think every single person who's in a band and even not in a band in Ireland needs to give them a tip of the hat and maybe by buying their album or listening to them shoving them up Spotify give them a bit of the glory and the hat tip that we should have given them in 1990 
I want to thank my excellent panel today. Is this, this is the final one. This is now. me doing it now. Okay, so <laughs> I wasn't sure. I want to thank my excellent panel today, Kieran, Angela, Louise, and thank Fergal. You. Thank you all. Thank this you has been a lot of fun as always. And yeah, so I guess Sinead O'Connor stands tall. And Louise, what song from the record should we have play us out on this episode? Three babies. Very good. Yeah. My name is Dave Hanreddy. This has been the Encore. This has been the Revisit. And this is Sinead O'Connor with Three Babies. Thank you.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.